Welcome to West Church. We're so thankful you've joined us today. Whether you're joining us in person or virtually, we're excited to come together to praise, worship, and receive God's glory. If this is your first time with us, we'd like to give you a very special welcome. If you're returning, thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you. Now, let's prepare to be inspired and encouraged as we enter into worship. You may find it strange that someone who spends a lot of time doing public speaking in front of larger crowds was at one time in my life tremendously shy and afraid of talking to people. In particular, I was very, very shy when it came to uh, boy-girl types of things. Um, I would, if I had, there was a girl that I liked and I kind of knew her phone number, sometimes, and this was before the days of caller ID, I would call the phone number and then when somebody answered the phone and picked up, I would hang up. <laughs> you know, if you had caller ID today, they'd think you were some kind of a weirdo. Well, they probably thought that, but they couldn't follow up on me. Um, and, and growing up, I still continued to kind of feel that way around people. Um, I could feel it around people that I thought were important. So like the pastors in my church and professors when I was in college and in seminary and community leaders, sometimes it takes me a while to get comfortable uh, with strangers, at least on the inside. So here we are, it's Resurrection Sunday, and we're celebrating that Jesus is alive. But if he were to appear and walk among us, would you feel comfortable? Would you walk up and greet him and embrace him? Or, or like me, would you have, hold back and kind of stand from afar and watch from across the room to see if he noticed you? And then he, if he did, calmly go up and greet him. Leading up to this morning in our church, during the past several weeks, we've been looking at various scenes in the biography books about Jesus, about his relationship with Simon Peter, who was mentioned against this morning, who was one of his closest disciples. The night before Jesus was betrayed and arrested, Peter had promised Jesus in a moment of boldness and confidence that he would never, ever deny Jesus and let him down. And a couple hours later, in a time of great fear, he did exactly that. He denied that he knew Jesus in front of a bunch of mostly strangers who didn't really know him for sure, but thought that he might be one of the disciples of Jesus. And three times, when asked by bystanders if he knew Jesus or if he was a disciple of Jesus, he said, no, I am not. And after he'd done it the third time, this rooster crowed out of nowhere, as roosters happen to do in the middle of the night or early in the morning. And that was a sign that Jesus had told Peter that would happen immediately after he'd done it. And Peter was struck and completely heartbroken and disappointed with himself that he would deny Jesus. But when push came to shove, 
he did it. And Peter was heavy with guilt and with shame for denying his master. Now, this morning, we just read how Peter and his friends went back to fishing. They had fished all through the night. They had caught absolutely nothing. Peter was a fisherman by trade. And this kind of random stranger is a hundred yards away on the shore. And he calls out and he says, uh, children, you have any fish? And they're like, no, we don't have anything. And they said, well, just throw your nets on the other side of the boat. I think there's some there. And they catch so many that normally they would expect the nets to have broken from the great catch, but but they don't, and the nets are absolutely bursting with fish. And, And Peter's friend, John, says to him, you know it's the Lord. And Peter cinches up all his clothing tightly and jumps into the water and swims a hundred yards back to shore to meet Jesus. And we're told that this is John's third account of the appearance of Jesus after he rose from the dead. And there are quite a few other ones contained in the scriptures. But this Easter, we're going to look just at this one. I want you to think about meeting Jesus. Seven of his disciples are there fishing. I suggested last week that maybe maybe Peter had given up. Maybe he was going back to his old business. But perhaps they're just doing what Jesus told them to do. Jesus had told them to wait. And they're waiting so they go fishing because a man needs to eat, right? Peter already knows that Jesus is alive, and when he knows that it's Jesus who is on the shore, he jumps in and swims because Peter wants to be with Jesus. He wants this whole betrayal thing behind him. He wants this whole thing in the past. He wants his friend back, and Peter may not have been as shy as I would have been in this scenario, but he has to be wondering how Jesus feels about his betrayal. And in our scene, they're going to talk about it. And as we think about this scene in the life of Peter meeting the risen Jesus, I want you to notice briefly this morning four things. The risen Jesus initiates loving reconciliation. The risen Jesus invites us to love him. The risen Jesus speaks the truth to us. And the risen Jesus gives us a future with him. Let's think about those things together. First of all, the risen Jesus invites loving reconciliation. Verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. And it goes on to tell the story. Verses 4 to 6, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was him. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. So he said, cast your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity. 
And then in verse 15, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus goes looking. He goes looking for his disciples. He finds them in this kind of odd and casual way, a stranger on the seashore asking if they have some fish, and little do they know. If you're familiar with the teachings of the stories about Jesus, you will recognize that this scene mirrors a story that happened way back at the beginning of Peter's relationship with Jesus. It's recorded in the biography of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. In that scene, Jesus had these crowds that were coming to hear him teach, and they just loved to hear him teach. And there was such a crowd that the whole entire seashore was just full of people. And Jesus says to Peter, hey, let's, let's get in the boat, push out a little bit from the shore so that the whole seashore of people can see me and hear me while I'm speaking to them. And when he finishes up his teaching, he tells Peter to throw his nets in. And Peter goes, come on, Lord, we've been fishing all night long. We have absolutely nothing. And he says, just do it. He goes, okay. And they haul in this, the same thing. There are so many fish, the other boat has to come and help them to take in all the fish. And Peter is tremendously humbled by the grace and by the power of the Lord in this scenario. And it was at this very scene where Jesus said to him, Peter, come follow me, and I will make you to become a fisherman of people. Now they're back on the shore, fishing again, and Jesus has filled his nets, and they're eating together while a group is gathered around a fire. And Jesus moves in with his questions, and Jesus is the one who is going to help Peter restore his relationship. If you're here today, and perhaps you are just a little interested, but not sure whether or not you want a relationship with Jesus, let me say to you that he is already making his first move towards you because you're here. If you're listening, he's already making his first move because you're listening. If you are here today and you have claimed a relationship with Jesus in the past, but perhaps you've let that relationship lapse and go into hibernation or denied him, but for some reason you are here today, he is again making his first move towards you. Because Jesus initiates reconciliation. He draws people to himself. He goes after them. Even though he is the son of God risen from the dead, he is not afraid to go and to find broken people, people like Peter who have failed him terribly, people who are timid and afraid and ashamed and guilty and alone. Jesus sees us, to use the phrase of that commercial in the Super Bowl, he gets us and he moves towards us today. And he rose from the dead. The risen Jesus also invites us to love him. We say this in verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. 
He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter had pledged his love to Jesus and had failed before. He had denied Jesus three times. And three times, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he most certainly did. In verse 15, he starts by saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, what are the these that he's referring to there? There's at least three possible answers to this question. Do you love me more than these, these 153 fish that you have just hauled in as a professional fisherman that are going to line your pockets with profits for your business? Do you love me more than your business, more than money, more than prosperity? That's one possibility. There are also six other disciples that are present when Jesus asks this question as they're around the fire together. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your friends? Are you going to put me first over and against your friends no matter what happens in the future? That's another possible meaning. The third possibility is that Peter, do you love me more than your friends love me? Comparatively, is your love for me, is your love for me stronger than their love for me? And Jesus could have meant any of these things, of all of these things, when he asked Peter the question, do you love me more than these? And whichever Jesus meant, he is asking Peter to place his love for him, Jesus, above everything else. Jesus wants Peter to love him. Those of you who are married, do you ever ask your spouse once in a while, do you love me? Don and I will do that once in a while to one another. Perhaps I just need to hear her say it, so I ask. Or perhaps we've had a disagreement or something, so I ask her, do you love me still? Sometimes she asks me, it's because it's a healing thing. We reaffirm our love for one another when we need it. You may have heard another preacher or myself say you need to believe in Jesus. But the term believe, it gets so hollowed out today. You know, believe is the word a coach puts over the door of his office in a, in a, in a, in a, in a football situation. Believe. It's the motto of Disney World. Believe, right? And, and, and it's what parents tell their kids when they send them out into the world. Believe in yourself. And it's true. I, I wish that everyone hearing me today would believe in Jesus. But when I say believe, what I'm encouraging you to do is to love Jesus. To love him. Here we have the risen Jesus going to one of his best friends who let him down terribly and saying to him, Peter, do you love me? And it's a very vulnerable and tender moment. 
Today is Resurrection Sunday. It's a time of victory and celebration. It's a day of glory. It's a day of triumph. It's a day of miracles. It's a day of power. But in all of His glory, Jesus is also very tender and very vulnerable Himself. And He asks each of us here, not just, do you believe in me? Like, do you have an idea about me? But do you love me? How do you answer him? Is he worthy of your love? Will you give him your love? Do you believe that Jesus is lovable? What do you know about him? Are you drawn to what you know about him? If you're here today and you're questioning whether or not Jesus is really lovable, I would encourage you just to keep coming, keep learning, keep thinking. Start by reading the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you need a copy, we'll give you a copy, or you can download it on your phone for free. Read about Jesus and and discover whether or not he is truly lovable. I suspect you will be convinced. The third thing we see here is that the risen Jesus speaks the truth to us. The risen Jesus speaks the truth to us. Notice in particular verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? In verse 17, that he was grieved. Why? Because Peter had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three times to match the number of times that Peter had denied him. And they both knew it. Even though Jesus initiated the reconciliation of the relationship, even though Jesus asked Peter to love him, Jesus does not avoid putting his finger on the very thing in Peter's life that he had done wrong when he denied him. Jesus goes right for Peter's private life. He goes right to his unfaithful heart He goes right for the sore spot. He's not mean. He's not spiteful. He's not bitter. But he is honest. Peter, you really let me down. And this is how your denial let me down. You broke my heart. I was your friend and your rabbi, and you denied me when I needed you most. Do you love me now? Will you stop denying me? And Jesus' love for Peter exposed within himself and invited him to be honest about where he was and to move into a better place in their relationship. In our modern culture today, we sometimes blend love and acceptance in an unhealthy way. 
we are told that in order to love someone, we must accept them and everything they want and everything they do. To not accept is to not love, and to accept with no conditions is to love. But is that really true in a genuine love relationship? If my best friend is making choices that I think are damaging for him and damaging for his family and damaging for me, am I just obliged to just accept that? Now, I do need to be compassionate. I do need to be available. I do need to be listening. And I shouldn't be looking down on him and treating him as if I'm better than, I, than he is when he's struggling. But it doesn't mean that I just say, you know what, that's okay, friend, do whatever the heck you want. Especially if that person is a close friend. A good friend is going to go to their friend when they're making bad choices and say, hey, look, look at what you're doing to yourself. Look at what you're doing to your family. Look at what you're doing to us. Can't you see? You're making the wrong choices here, and I love you, friend. Please stop this and come back to us. In reality, deep friendship and love is marked by vulnerable truth-telling. Not from a position of superiority and condemnation, but from a position of compassion and love for their own well-being. Jesus was the most loving to put his finger on the broken places in his relationship with Peter. And he's going to do the exact same thing with you and I if we love him. He's very kind. He's very gentle. He's very compassionate. But he doesn't just affirm our wrongs. <laughs> he wants better for us. He's going to reveal areas in our lives where he desires that we would, should change for him and for our own good. And he's that kind of risen Savior. He wants to be intimately involved in our lives and our hearts, and he wants to refine and to purify and to deepen our love relationship with him. And this is the most beautiful part about the risen Jesus. He knows us through and through and through, and he wants us through and through and through. And he's willing to walk with us through the truth of what it really means to really know him and to really love him well. And can I say to you that if you love Jesus and if you purpose to live for Jesus and if you choose to do what Jesus wants you to do and if God is the maker of the world and Jesus is the savior of the world and you do what he says, you will have a better life. you will have a better life. Your life will be better if it is aligned with your Savior's call on you. And He will guide you out of harming yourself and harming others into a better life when you get there.
Because that's the kind of risen Savior that he is. Lastly, will you notice with me that the risen Jesus gives us a future with him. A future with him. Each time that Jesus asked Peter if he loves him, and Peter said yes, Jesus gave him a command. Feed my lambs, verse 15. Tend my sheep, verse 16. Feed my sheep, verse 17. Here we see that Peter is restoring Jesus to ministry. Jesus is letting... I said that wrong. Here we see that Jesus is restoring Peter to ministry. Yes, that's what I meant to say. Jesus is letting Peter know that he is again one of his apostles. In particular, Jesus is letting Peter know that he is to be, have a function of a shepherd among God's people. Peter is to be a shepherd, which is, means pastor. He is to be a leader. He is to provide nourishment and care for the sheep of God, for the children of God, for the church of God's people. The better life that Jesus had for Peter was as a leader among his people caring for their well-being. And in the book of Acts that follow and in the two letters that Peter would later write to early believers, they bear out the reality that Peter had a wonderful life serving God's people. But look with me at verses 18 and 19. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19 says, this, is, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The future that Jesus promised to Peter was not all wine and roses. Jesus warns him that in the earlier part of his life, he used to get dressed and go out and do whatever he wanted. But in the later part of his life, Peter would be dressed by somebody else and led out where he would not have willingly gone. Following Jesus was going to have a negative cost for Peter. His hands would be stretched out and he would go where he did not want to go. And this is most likely a reference to the tradition that Peter was crucified by the Emperor Nero in Rome. So while Peter's future as a leader among Christians was a better life, that life most likely ended tragically before its time. And in the end, Peter did not deny Jesus. He died on a cross like Jesus. The future that Jesus gave Peter was bittersweet. When you love Jesus... He engages your life and your future for His glory and your happiness. Being a Christian is not the same as Stoicism. Stoicism comes from the Greek philosophy that you just accept life as it is and learn how to quash your desires and allow whatever comes washing over you not to affect you by being stalwart. And that's how you find happiness in life, by just accepting whatever comes at you. That is not Christianity. 
Jesus knows us as we really are. He knows our aptitudes. He knows our desires. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. And and He can even give us spiritual abilities called spiritual gifts that we can use to give back to others. Jesus called Peter to be a shepherd of people, and He's going to do something like that with each and every one of us. He knows we're not all made of the same thing. We're not all exactly cookie cutters, and we're each made differently. And He will deploy each of us differently as He sees fit. Some of you are specifically aware that what Jesus has called you to in this life. Some of you are not, but if you love Jesus, you can be sure that He will call you to something. It may be your job or your career that is the most meaningful way that you give back to the community. Your most meaningful gift to community might be to your immediate family. It may be the ways that you volunteer that are the most meaningful to you. It may be within a specific church or faith community. But rest assured that as you walk with Jesus, He will show you a future that He has for you. That's the kind of Savior He is. So in this scene from John's biography of Jesus, this is what we see. The risen Jesus initiates loving reconciliation. He invites us to love Him. He speaks the truth to us, and He gives us a future with Him. That is what the risen Jesus is like. And this is what He did in Peter's life, and and His work in our lives is going to be similar. I mentioned that Jesus also indicated how Peter was going to die. Peter did not live to a ripe old age. His life was ended tragically because he resisted the powers that be that hated his faith stance in his culture. And that's extremely sad and somewhat tragic. But I leave you with this. Remember who it was who invited Jesus to love him. The risen Jesus. You see, Jesus overcame death. He himself was crucified, dead, and buried, but death couldn't keep him. God brought him to life again, and he walked out of that empty tomb on Easter, and he was the Lord, and he is the Lord of life. And Jesus gives the self-same life to each and every person who loves him. Peter died tragically just like his Lord, but he was also raised gloriously just like his Lord. And he wrote in a letter to the early believers, a letter from Peter, his very first one, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Listen to the words that Peter wrote, knowing what his future held. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter embraced the dark side of the future that Jesus promised him because he recognized that there was a much greater future beyond that with his Lord in eternity. 
The resurrection is about forever life, life with the risen Jesus right now where he comes to us and he invites us to himself and speaks to us about areas in our lives and leads us into his better future, both in this life and forever. Do you know Jesus this way? Do you know him this way? Perhaps he is drawing near to you right now, right here. Move back towards him. Welcome him. Learn about him. Read about him. And love him and let him into your life and follow him into his future that he has for you. This is how the risen Jesus shapes those he loves. Let's pray. Who is like you, Lord Jesus? Who is like you? We praise you today. We praise you. We love you. We are so thankful for all that you endured in our behalf and for the power of an indestructible life that is yours and that you bestow by grace upon each who believes and each who loves you in response. Pour out that grace in our midst today. Fill us up with joy for the reality of these truths and cause it to be known throughout this community and throughout the world that Jesus is Lord, the Lord who loves his children. Thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.